Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, we are nearing the end of our summer series, Seasons, and um, for the better part of this series, we have been zoomed in on the personal seasons that we go through in our lives, but last weekend we zoomed out. And we zoomed out from the individual seasons to more of the organizational kind. Um, Listen, it stands to reason that if we in our lives go through various seasons, then families and organizations and businesses and churches also go through various seasons. So before we hit the high points of a last week's talk, where I introduced what I believe is the first season, unique season we're entering into, let me just remind us of our catalyst verse for the series, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. So last weekend, as I prayed about Grace Crossing Church, and I prayed about where I sense the Lord is leading us. I spoke last weekend on what I believe is a unique season we're stepping into, a season of transformation. It is not an external season, it is an internal season. And let me just remind you of some of the high points of the talk last weekend, namely two realities, and then one more we touched on that I'm gonna drill down deeper on this morning. Here's the first reality. Spiritual transformation usually begins at the point of dissatisfaction with your current reality. So every transformation in life, I believe, starts when we become dissatisfied with the way things are. And that's coupled with the conviction that things could be different and things should be different. It also means we need to determine that the payoff is going to be worth the payout. But it always begins with a time of dissatisfaction about where you are. The second thing I talked about last weekend is that spiritual transformation is a lifelong process, not a a once-in-a-lifetime event. Now, tomorrow is not going to be your ordinary 21st of August. Because tomorrow, for the first time in nearly 100 years, in fact, 1918 was the last time it happened, that a total solar eclipse was seen from coast to coast in the United States of America. And they say that it's about every 300 years before an eclipse will land on the exact same spot on the earth, give or take a few years. So here's the reality. It is safe to say that what's going to happen tomorrow It's going to be a a once-in-a-lifetime event, at least for our lifetime. How many of you are planning to see the spectacle tomorrow? Can I see your hands? Okay. I hope you have a pair of these. Speaking of spectacles. I could auction these off this morning, and I could make a boatload of money, right? Because these are going for like a 1000 bucks on eBay. I don't even understand it, okay? But they're already claimed. So listen, when it comes to spiritual transformation, it is not a solar eclipse. It is not a once in a lifetime event. Spiritual transformation is a lifelong process. You and I will spend our entire lifetime becoming the person God designed us to be and the person that God desires for us to become. And that brings us to a third reality. 
And it's this, spiritual transformation requires change. And listen to this, and change will always require making choices. Spiritual transformation will require change, and change will always require making choices. Nearly everyone in this auditorium wants to be different. But I've met few people who want to change. Think about that. Nearly every person you meet in your life wants to be different. But very few people are willing to make the choices to change. And so what gets in the way of it? We identified two last weekend. I think the two biggest obstacles for transformation and change is status and status quo. And honestly, I don't know which is more dangerous, but I am deeply convinced that both are equally deceptive. Because in life, we will always cling to either our status or we'll cling to our status quo. There is something about us that does not lean in to wanting to change. And so let me talk about that more this morning. Let me drill and sink that down a little deeper into our hearts today. There are a lot of people that are waiting on God to change them, but the reality is God is waiting on them. God is waiting on us to pray the prayer, yes, Lord, I am willing to make the changes and adjustments that are necessary in my life. I think for every single one of us in this auditorium, there are things we wish were different in our lives, in our spiritual lives, in the deepest part of our hearts. But the truth is, we have been trying for so long and we've been waiting on God for so long and I think God is simply waiting on us to make the changes, to make the move. So I believe that all of us here have tried in our lives to change things. And and here's the reality. If you could change your life, you would have already done it. You can't and I can't. That's just the reality. We desperately need God and we desperately need other people to step into our lives. If we want to experience the kind of deep, the kind of lasting, the kind of core character transformation that God is looking for in our lives. We can't do it alone. We tried. And so what we need is we need God, and I am convinced we need other people in our lives. I think lasting transformation requires honest, authentic community. That's why we believe so strongly in our connection groups. I said this last weekend, it bears repeating. Spiritual growth, lasting growth, does not happen in rows. Spiritual growth, lasting growth, happens in circles. It happens in community. People can go to church all of their life, and many do, and they never move the needle on the kind of spiritual growth that God desires. And I think the only way to move the needle is to bring other people into it. Listen, people who love us deeply but are not impressed by us. I think every one of us need people in our lives who love us deeply, but who are not impressed by us. Because when we get those kind of people in our lives, people who will speak the truth in love, it's going to help us to grow the way God desires 
for us to grow. You don't need everybody to speak into your life, but you need a few. You need some people that you give permission to. You need some people that know who you really are. Now, I've talked to a lot of people in my 30 plus years of ministry, and here's what I've discovered. People are embarrassed. People say, listen, if they knew that about me, or if they knew that about my past, or if they knew that about my character, I would just be so ashamed. I would feel so low. And so they keep it to themselves. They keep their dark, painful secrets to themselves because they think it's the only thing that they can really control in life. Truth be told, it controls us. We don't control it. And so if you've been doing that, let me ask you, how's that working out for you? How's it going in your life with that? Trying to manage that and maintain that on your own. I think if we want the kind of transformation God desires, the kind of deep-rooted transformation the kind that touches the deepest, darkest deficits of our human heart, I think we've got to overcome the fear of being real. We've got to overcome the fear of being real. Listen, if we would spend the energy that we spend on trying to hide our sins and our deficits and our failures and our shortcomings and our past and our habits, if we spent the kind of energy on being honest that we spend on that, we could spend a whole lot more time on getting it right, being the person that God wants us to be. And so I think what we've got to do is we've got to overcome this fear of being real. We've got to invite God into it, and we've got to be willing to be really, really honest, transparent, and vulnerable about those places in our life where we need God to help transform us, and we need God to change us. And that really begins with honesty. I'll say it this way. I think the greatest hurdle that you and I have got to overcome is the hurdle of being completely honest. That's the hurdle. If we can get over that hurdle, we remove a tremendous roadblock that gets in the way of where we are and where God wants us to be. If we want to remove that roadblock out of the way, we've got to get over the hurdle of feeling this sense that we can't be honest about what's happening. So I want to bring you some really encouraging news today. It is never too late to become the person that you've always wanted to be. And it is never too late to become the person God desires for you to be. It's never too late to start the process. It's never too late to begin that process of transformation. And where does the process begin? Paul, in his letter that he wrote to the Christians that were spread throughout the Roman Empire, Paul nails it for us. He tells us clearly where it lies. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Now, when we launch into our new series on September the 10th, which we're going to talk about here in just a few moments, we're going to talk a lot about these patterns that get in the way of our lives because they are extensive. And they are critical to understand the patterns that get in the way. 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now listen, I said this last weekend, your mind is not confined to your head. Our mind is, runs through every cell in our body, not just our brain cells. So it is responsible for our thoughts, but it is responsible for a whole lot more. Your mind is responsible for your imagination, for your feelings, for your attitudes, for your moods. And so what God is suggesting here very clearly is this. God wants this spiritual transformation, not just to be cognitive, but to be emotive. God wants to bring the transformation into the whole person, our whole being, every single part of who we are. And that brings us to today's big idea. If God can change your mind, God can change your life. If God can change your mind, and if God can reorder those cells and the way they operate, God can change your life. Proverbs chapter 23, verse number seven says it this way, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. For the better part of my Christian life, I made an assumption and it was the wrong assumption. For the better part of my Christian life, I assumed that the most important thing about my Christian walk was what I thought about. Well, according to this verse and others that support it, the most important thing is not what we think, it's how we think. In fact, I would suggest to us this morning, how you think actually defines who you become, not what you think. It is how we think about our past that influences our present and our future. It is how we think about circumstances that come our way that impact and define where we let our imaginations go. It is how we think that determines and influences the trajectory of our life and what we ultimately become. Not just what we think, but how we think about God. How we think about ourselves how we think about others. It has a large bearing on the person that we become. And that's why we cannot ignore this ancient proverbial wisdom that actually comes to us from Solomon's pen in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Moment of honesty. How many of us in this auditorium have ever decided to trust and lean into our own understanding and made a decision accordingly and found out it was the wrong decision? Can I see your hands? If you're being honest, all of us have. Guilty as charged. Because I think that's human nature. What human nature does is this. Human nature says, let me try to figure it out. 
And when I get to the end of myself and I can no longer figure it out, then what will I do? I will turn to the Lord and I'll ask God to come and help me. We've got to reverse engineer the equation in our hearts. We've got to reverse the order. What the Bible suggests here is this, that we trust in the Lord and not lean into our own understanding. And I know it happens all the time. I know it happens because I've done it more times than I would care to count. I did it this past week with a situation that I was mulling over, I was thinking about, and it all of a sudden began to take me a little sideways emotionally, and it impacted another individual. And when I brought it to the Lord, here's what I discovered. God actually impressed on me that I had neglected the very thing I was going to be speaking about this morning. I had leaned onto my own understanding, and in the process, I was not trusting the Lord. Now, let me say it, what I believe this verse is suggesting. I believe this verse is suggesting that it is impossible to trust the Lord with all of your heart when you're using a portion of it to try to understand. It's impossible. As long as we are spending our energy trying to understand What we're not doing is we're not trusting the Lord. Now, do not mistake what I am saying. I am not saying that we should not go back and be informed by things that have happened in our lives. But listen, there are some things that lie in my life that have created misunderstanding, and I will never understand why they happened. I will never understand the reason behind them. But what I can do is I can trust the Lord with all of my heart and not try to figure all of that out, but rather bring God into that, let it inform who I am, and let it give me a new future. And that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. God invites us to bring him into it because our tendency is to try to figure it out. And here's how we do it. If only I could understand why that happened to me, then I could trust God more. If only I could understand why things in my life didn't turn out the way I'd planned, then I could trust people more. If only I could understand the Bible, then I would read it more. We're doing this all the time, aren't we? We're leading into our own understanding and thinking, if I can understand it, then I can trust. And I think God's asking us to reverse that. He's asking us to bring him into it. And when we do that, the Bible says that in all of our ways, when we submit into him, that he will make crooked paths straight. And I would submit to you that he will make dark places light. And he will also take bitter things in our life and make them sweet when we bring God into them, when we trust him with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. See, I believe God wants to do something in all of our hearts and lives that is new. And yet what happens for many of us is we get stuck and we settle for the same old, same old in our life. We just keep going through the same routines. We keep doing the same things over and over again. By the way, do you know the definition of insanity? Let me give it to you. Here's the definition of insanity. Doing the same old things and expecting a different or new outcome. That's insanity. And how often do we do that in our lives? 
We just keep going back to the same old things, the same old patterns, the same old habits, the same old thoughts, the same old relationships, and even for some of us, the same old religion that gets in the way of what God wants to do. That's what Jesus experienced. When Jesus came to this earth, those that were the audience, the prime audience, the Jewish people, they had no room in their theology for a God that would spend time with the disenfranchised, with the broken, with the hurting, with sinners, with tax collectors, with drunkards, with prostitutes. They had nothing in their theology that would even understand remotely how that could be possible. When Jesus came to earth, they had no a room or space in their theology for a savior that was going to suffer for them. That was completely foreign. They could not understand that God here was bringing his presence and yet to them it was something new, but they had no room for something new. Why? They were stuck. They were stuck in the same old, same old and they could not break out of it. And so Jesus gives a powerful, poignant illustration It's recorded for us by a doctor by the name of Luke in his gospel. And here's what Luke writes in Luke chapter five, a simple illustration that Jesus brings. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, for us to have an appreciation about the illustration that Jesus is using here, we've got to understand a little bit of history about wine and wineskins. If you're in our auditorium this morning and you are adamant about the fact that wine is sin and it's always sinful, buckle your seatbelt. Wine in the scripture actually is used as an illustration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a lot of scripture that actually talks about this. Here's one, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What Paul the Apostle does here is Paul the Apostle juxtaposes the impact that wine has on us with the impact that God's Spirit has on us. And here's what he is suggesting. He's suggesting that drunkenness, not wine, drunkenness will actually lead to changing who you are. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you act. It will change your countenance, it will change the way you speak. If you don't believe me, just watch somebody drunk. It's sad. It's tragic. And what he is suggesting is this. Just like wine can do that when it's used in excess, so God's spirit, when somebody is full of God's spirit, it will change their thoughts It will change their behavior. It will change their attitude. It will change their countenance. It will change the way they speak. It will change everything about who they are. So drunkenness ruins lives, but God's spirit transforms and changes 
lives. You can go to this text in, in, in Luke's gospel and you can look it up in any other version you want. You can find any other Greek uh, uh, scripture that's found and you cannot change the fact that what is being talked about is wine. Jesus changes water to wine in his first miracle in John's gospel. The New Testament believers, the very first ones who had received God's Holy Spirit were accused of being drunk with wine, even though it was nine in the morning. Paul the apostle writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, who was a pastor, and says this to him. You are having a lot of sicknesses and ailments. Take a little wine for your stomach. Not so you can get drunk, but, but Paul knew something that medical science supports and corroborates today. A little wine can actually have good health benefits. Now, listen, I'm not advocating this morning. This is not a message on go out and have fun and, and party, right? This is not, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm suggesting is this. Jesus is using an illustration that first century culture would have clearly understood. Because wine in those days was made in the skins of animals. An animal would be killed, and once it was gutted, its hide would be tanned over a fire. Once it was ready, the legs of that animal were sewn together, and the neck became the spout, whereby the fruit of the vine was poured into that, and it was laid aside for a process of fermentation and expansion. Now, during that process of fermentation and expansion, that particular uh, grape juice was being fermented. Something was happening. It was being transformed. And in the process of that, that particular wineskin was stretched to full capacity. When it happened, they knew it was ready. But here's the deal. That wineskin could never again be used. Because if it was ever again used for fresh wine, for new wine, that process would break open, burst the skin, and this fruit that was so precious would be wasted. It would be poured out. It would be spoiled. It'd be ruined. And so what's Jesus suggesting? Jesus is suggesting that his gospel, the full totality of his gospel, the gospel of Christ that comes not only in spirit but power and truth, is actually intended to transform us from the inside out, and that transformation cannot be put into a person, a wineskin, that is old, unwilling, unbending, unyielded, stuck in its ways, unwilling to let God do something new in them. And so with that parable, with that illustration, I want to tell you the second season I believe we're stepping into. I believe Grace Crossing Church is stepping into a season of surrender. Because that's really the illustration of the wineskin. It was all about surrender. Now, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word surrender? Well, for some of us here, we think of our military, or we think particularly of military conflict. Some of us may think of a police officer who is making an arrest, or a warrant that's put out for someone's to turn themselves in and to surrender themselves. Now, truth be told, we do not use that word very often in our vocabulary. We don't really like it. 
But I think what the Bible is teaching about this idea is that God is filled with wanting us to surrender. It is very much a God word. And listen to what I'm about to say this morning. God is not concerned nearly as much with our esteem for him as he is for our surrender to him. God is not nearly as much concerned about our level of sacrifice as he is our willingness to fully surrender to him. 1 Samuel chapter 15. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and surrender or submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So I've given this definition before, but I'll give it again for surrender. Surrender is the point where I end and Christ begins. It is the point where I end and Christ begins. And what Jesus is asking, what Jesus is calling us to, is he's calling us to present to him a new framework, a new paradigm, a new heart, a new mind that is willing to be bent and yielded to his will over our own. And that's a tall order. That's an order we cannot do without God's help. So there are four characteristics of, this, of these wineskins that I want to talk about, but I'm only going to talk about one this morning as we drive this, this talk to a conclusion. Here's the first characteristic of the wineskin, and I believe it's important for us to hear it today. Full surrender requires that we be emptied of self. Full surrender requires that we be emptied of self. Now, here's why that's so difficult. Because we have a gravitational pull to ourself, not to God. The pull of the human heart is not to God, it is to us. To our own life, to our own wants, to our own desires. And it is impossible to be full of us and also be full of God. People try it all the time, but it's impossible. You will either be one or you will be the other. Let me give you an illustration of what this full surrender looks like. Just over a century ago, there was a group of brave soldiers who followed Christ who were actually called one-way missionaries. These individuals were one-way missionaries, which meant this. When they boarded a boat and they were headed to a foreign land, they were going to take the gospel to another country, another place. They knew they had no intent of coming home. And so they bought one-way tickets, not two-way tickets, one-way tickets. And they packed up all of their belongings. And get this, they packed up all of their belongings, not in suitcases, but in a casket, in a coffin. True story. And when these one-way missionaries boarded the boats, everything they owned on this earth was in that coffin. When they were shipping out of port, 
and they were waving to all of their family and friends that were seeing them off. Here's what they understood. They understood they were never coming home. They had no intent of ever coming back. They were one way, they were focused, they were going to the end. One such missionary, one-way missionary, was a guy by the name of A.W. Milne. A.W. Milne in the late 1800s was called to the New Hebrides in South, in South Pacific. When he decided to go to the New Hebrides, he knew this. He knew that every missionary that had gone before him, every single one, had died at the hands of headhunters. And he knew that the village he was going to, that was probably his fate. But it didn't matter. He had already made up his mind. He had already packed his coffin. He had already gotten a one-way ticket. He was all in. And God gave him favor. And for 35 years, he ministered to a tribal people in the New Hebrides. And at the end of his life, after 35 years, when he died, they did not bury him on the outside of the village like everyone else. They buried him right in the center of the village. And they put up a monument that read this. Here's what it was inscribed. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Every single one of those tribe, tribal people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Every single one became followers of Jesus Christ because he was a one-way missionary. Now, here's what I sense God saying to Grace Crossing Church. I sense God is calling us to become a church filled with one-way Christ followers who have our eyes completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are giving him the totality of who we are. I sense that God is calling all of us to become a new wineskin so that he can pour his new wine into our hearts so that God can transform the dark places of our lives into the light that he wants it to be. That before Jesus ever touched it, there was darkness, but now there is the light of his presence. And I sense God is wanting to make Grace Crossing Church a transformational community filled with men and women who are absolutely filled with honesty, humility, and integrity so that the faith that we claim to have is integrated with the life that we live. See, here's what happens with wineskins that become brittle, that become inflexible, that no longer will bend to God's will. What happens is God wants to pour himself into us and what we are doing is the junk in our hearts is spilling out everywhere. It's spilling out into our marriages. It's spilling out into our families. It's affecting our kids. It's affecting our jobs. It's affecting our lives. It's affecting everything about us. And the only way is to offer him a new wineskin, to invite him in to a new framework that says, God, we give you permission to come into every area of our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Do we have that verse? Verses 7 through 10. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
Let me read that again. We have this treasure, God's spirit in us, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed, perplexed. Life is perplexing, but we're not in despair. At times we are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body, in our life, that people will see our death so that they can see his life and his all-surpassing power. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.